Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good morning, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to the Boyce of Reason podcast. Today's episode is not an interview, it's a discussion with Claire Graham, who I've had on my channel several times before. And in this discussion, we talk about uh, male and female and their interrelationship and how certain forms of discourse around gender are actually stopping us from actually learning all there is to know about one another and then deriving from that knowledge some sort of, uh, you know, rules of thumb in the relationship between the sexes or the genders. We also talk about a bunch of other things, including activism and the ways in which activism actually boxes in the conversation in various ways that actually uh, limits the ability for human beings to discover what it is to be a human human being. One additional note for those who are interacting with this episode via aural means exclusively. There is a five or four minute clip of a discussion that I had with Jane Claire Jones from February of 2019 that I've inserted towards the beginning to ground my example of patriarchy slipping into a pseudo-gnostic way of forming a power structure that everybody's caught inside of. That all said, Here's myself and Claire Graham. Did you attend that uh, group meeting this weekend? Oh, uh, the Fiat one. Yeah. No, there wasn't one this weekend. Oh, okay. Because there was a lot of drama around. Uh, about around what? Claire Graham? Just... No, not Claire Graham. <laughs> uh, Jane Claire Jones. Yeah, yeah, that like turf drama. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. They, I don't. <laughs> they can't help themselves. Well, I think you know it's. Uh, I don't. I don't even. I don't even want to comment on it necessarily, to be honest. But now I've put it out there. Um, yeah, I don't, there's always something, isn't there? Yeah. I feel like we made a gain last week because the government um, have announced uh, like a, that they're going to try to like protect women's single sex spaces and they're going to review what's happening with children. So, like, it was a massive gain. So everyone just went, oh, well, where else can we find drama with each other? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm working on this pet theory uh, inspired by my interview with Jane Claire Jones from over a year ago or a year ago when she, we get deep into her philosophy and she can't escape the gravity well of her conception of patriarchy as like the like the, the the center of all evil and I just keep on thinking about like running into the idea of patriarchy and I know no no one necessarily thinks um, that it's this invisible force that's governing everything but they act like they do and they speak like they do a lot, a lot I see that this manifestation and it really reminds me a lot of this uh, this this old old religion called Gnosticism where they they came up it's it's basically the matrix where we're all caught in this fallen world that's controlled by this negative deity uh, that set up this game that, that oppresses us constantly. And I was just thinking a lot about how the concept of patriarchy, if you're not really, really careful, becomes this all-consuming 
well, all defining or like this this meaning structure that constantly defines every oppression or every, you know, every. Uh, it's like every interaction you have with the world is yeah. defined by by that. Yeah, I find it. I think I think we talked about this last time we spoke a little bit. How I I don't really understand the patriarchy, or I don't like I understand what the word means, as in like uh, you can have a patriarchal society, so where males have. Uh, where it's like run by males yeah but I, like, I understand that and i understand historically books. of course that like most human societies were patriarchal like to an to like a greater or lesser extent but i don't yeah the, the feminist or the radical feminist maybe i don't know all feminists talk about the patriarchy but like the radical feminist sort of the to me it feels it gets like can starts to feel like a conspiracy theory mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think is the best way to describe it that like with that we're all someone's always against us and it's always deliberate yeah yeah there's this there's this intention there's this intention behind oppression constantly and yeah and i got to this one point in our conversation with jane uh claire jones where she started speaking about young females being against each other and i'm like and and i and i asked her like, like, is there no like competition between women? Is there no is all is all negative interaction between women? Like, are women just pure and they're in the system? And she said, no, it's because the patriarchy causes them to be yes. against each other. Women's relationships are generally really nice. I mean, when we're younger, they get much better as we get older, and we actually shed a lot of our patriarchal bullshit and we stop caring. And we stop giving a fuck. <laughs> Wait, and see, we, I, I just, I have. Sort why, why do you have to gender that? Like, why do you have to gender maturation? So, so everything bad in life has to do with like this negative masculine force. Like, are there not just natural processes of becoming a better person, or do we have to gender the negative parts of of that maturation? Well, no, but I think I think for a lot of us, it's to do with dealing with the damage that is done to us. It's not emergent at all. There's not just things that that young female well, I people can't, need I to can't, learn. I can't. I yes, there is definitely things that men and female people need to learn, which is like how to manage their own feelings and yeah. like be responsible. And take I mean, if if you look at the way that 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 women and men bully each other, men or young young women and young men, uh, females bully each other socially, and that's the big epidemic with social media. That doesn't necessarily have to do with shedding patriarchal power structures that's about I- exerting power over other people i don't see it has anything to do like like with this overarching but you but you don't negative you don't masculine understand. force mm, yeah, it, that like, i don't understand isn't, we, isn't are, an we, are, we are set in competition against each other by by some other force so it's like hypo agency you're saying that it's all the fault are, of something else the, by the fact that we are raised to believe that our value is in the value that is attributed to us by men. And you don't we're think not, that that's not, at all not, emergent not, from, not, from not, what a female we're is not, we're through we're Darwinian? I mean, and obviously it's not so much now, but it is still the case. Like, this is what men do not understand, right, about... And this is why the, the relationship to transactivism to that aspect of you saying, getting the attention, yeah? Why that's so problematic to us, right? Because being the object of male attention is not fun. <laughs> it's not fun? No. Sometimes 100% it's fun. of the time? No. Sometimes it's fun. Most of the time it's not fun. 
Hmm. Having your value as a human principally indexed by how much attention you get from male people fucks you up. Yeah, I, I'm not arguing against that at all. <laughs> and that's the principal structure. So I just I want to say I just want to ask are I mean, I, 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 are you someone, saying that women would be perfect human beings if it weren't for men fucking them up that they would just naturally no, grow no, and have no, wonderful no, relationships no, no, with each other no 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 of course not because every single there's going to be individual degrees of trauma and stuff right and like individual fuck ups right but there is a power structure right. And, and you don't think that there's a there's a different power structure that that's in the female. You need to separate it, right? This is what always happens. You need to separate it from men. It's not men. It's the power structure, now, which is inherently certain, gendered. So it's male. It's masculinist. I find there's like a cognitive dissonance in that that there's this thing of like that women must have agency, but equally that the philosophy takes agency away from women because we have no choice because everything that we do is the patriarchy. I, I, I don't know how that circle is squared. I probably haven't read enough on it. Yeah. To be yeah. Honest. There's, there's a lot. I just thinking about it as like, as this governing story tell this, this narrative that, that you find in activist circles, no matter where it is there, there's a group forms around, uh, solving a problem. And that problem is oppression. And as as time goes on, they make gains with rights, I guess, or with uh, limiting oppression or, or getting more awareness out there, changing the attitudes, let's say, within feminism, changing the attitudes towards women, changing what's appropriate to say about women or, or how to speak to women. Um, but as as society progresses, the activist circle can't stop fighting oppression. And so it goes from fighting these big things to fighting like uh nuisances like like every like little tinier thing uh gets atomized smaller and smaller and smaller and because you need that passion to change the world you need that passion to come together in this spiritual like or this religious sense of like coming together there's this there's this underlying like ecstasy of being involved in a movement and you need to have that powerful emotion mean something so it has to be tied to something in the real world or something in the world let's say that justifies that amount of passion and that amount of of uh you know of uh, of working and 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 so you have to invent like this huge evil to... do you think it's, there's a thing as well of like um it's like the common enemy that you have to have the enemy all the time because like if you defeated your enemy then what have you got left if that's what defines you as a group like yeah yeah and I, I think like um i went to last year the launch of um you know lgb alliance in the uk yeah and um they were talking then about the history of stonewall in the uk not the stonewall riots but stonewall the charity in the uk the lgbt charity and as they were saying you know they like they had their aims obviously uh they wanted um, same-sex marriage legalized and things like that. And then once they'd achieved that, what was left? And so mm -hmm. they became sort of aimless in their advocacy because they had won all the battles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and then that's when that's when they ended up taking on 
the trans cause because then so they needed something new to focus their their energies on so maybe there is that maybe there's a little bit of that in in some like feminist thinking as well that if you acknowledge where uh, you've gained equality or whatever then and and you don't start looking for where it still exists then what mm-hmm. is your purpose mm-hmm. yeah what's the purpose but i think like when i think about what i do like um in terms of activism i I prefer the word advocacy, but we can use activism okay, yeah, yeah, if you yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I just, just because I think I, I don't know, I don't even know why it matters. But it's just that's just the word I would choose. Um, but like I think about like in my work, so not my like advocacy or activism, but like we there's always this thing of like how are we measuring success. Mm. So how do you know if you're making progress? And like the kids I work with, that's not always obvious. So you have to have like you know because success isn't necessarily academic with the kids i work with it it could be something else and um but all the time we we're like we're measuring success and we're finding ways to measure success and i think that that i try to do that in what i'm doing and maybe that's some something lacking mm-hmm. and i'm not saying i do it perfectly because uh you know i'm like very much sort of stumbling about with like, my <laughs> advocacy <laughs> but um but i but i think yeah maybe that's something that well, okay, so so let's let's talk about like your work on intersex uh, advocacy. Like, how do you how would you measure success in that? Is that even possible, or do you have to just your job isn't to succeed at all? You're just providing resources or uh, participating in a discourse whenever you feel it necessary. When I can do, yeah. I think. Well, I think partly in terms of. Um, changing the conversation or changing, you know, changing like perception. So. I know when I first started, there were a lot of people didn't know anything. It was like intersex was this nebulous word that was thrown around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm purely in terms of like really sort of the feminist versus the, the trans activists. And, um, and, and I think when I started putting like quite detailed information out there and picking like explaining what the words meant and what the different medical conditions are, and then seeing how that changed the conversation, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the the measure of success um and and then seeing like where that reaches to as well because of course it reaches well well, of course when i first started it was mainly like it was mainly um the turfs who were listening to what i was saying because it was useful to them um Mm. but now Mm. i see like there's different people that engage with what i do that aren't necessarily coming from their point of view so it's it's there's a like the broad audience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah there's a keyword that you used there it was useful for them which which speaks to like an orientation like a goal oriented uh you know operation that these different groups come together converge around these different individuals converge around a common goal that goal can be really easily become an enemy and when the enemy disappears it's really easy for another enemy or for the uh for the for the habitual activity of fighting to just switch to another target or not necessarily another topic if it switched to another topic you know that we're going to argue about then that's one thing but you can see on social media maybe that's what happened this weekend i don't know because i i I look at it but i do see a lot the 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 gender critical uh, mass they swarm 
And when they when they find something to swarm around, they they'll converge. They converged on Helen Pluckrose a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, which really yeah, offended over, me. Yeah, like, was it over the word cis? I caught a little bit of that, but I yeah. didn't sort of wade into it. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's quite. Um, but I think they've kind of learned to do that. There's a learned behaviour in that as well, because I think what like when I first got involved, and there, there weren't many of us on Twitter. Um, and then you would find, you would put something out there, and then you would, you were converged on by the trans activists for putting something out there that, that they didn't like. Yeah, and it and it's quite overwhelming. Yeah, and then I and then as more women joined, they learned to do the same back, and then it's um, and at first they were doing it back to them, so that's okay because there's like a, a like Equal. both sides. Are, yeah, yeah. Um, but now there is that thing where someone can like innocently put something like, or they're trying to like Helen. I think was trying to just like open a conversation. Yeah. And, and then they converge in the same way, which is really unhelpful because you're not actually taking part in the conversation. Then you're just kind of bullying someone in the end. Yeah. And I don't know if that the problem with that is that you wonder how it's going to run its course. You wonder how it's going to change. Right. Like, how do you change a group that's acting that way, that learned behavior? That's how they've kind of honed their skills as communicators, too. Like they, they understand that if they speak in a certain way, they'll get points for it. Or they'll they'll make a point that way. And how yeah. do you change that? How do you when when they're all learned not only to make those statements but to respond positively and reinforce those statements when those statements are made, like with shares and stuff like that? I mean, it, it, we I, I want to go beyond just critiquing Twitter as a medium. I want to try to figure out like, okay, does this does this learned behavior run its course where they just start battling each other? they start exposing each other to that. They, all those needles turn inward and then they all just get sick of it. They're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then well, I think, and they're going to lose. Sorry. Yeah. I think it does. Cause I think, I mean, this was one of the things, the fallout the weekend that, um, there are now uh, women who were really engaged in this and who've put a lot into it. Um, who are now just saying, I don't want, I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to walk away from the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I, I mean, when you're dealing with adults, changing behaviour is really difficult, isn't it? Because they're adults. Yeah. And and for a start, it's difficult as an adult anyway to change behaviour. But also when you're convinced you're right, then it's very difficult to get pe- get you to see that you're not right or what you're doing is unhelpful. Um, yeah. Well, it, it's the frame that you can be right. If if the like, And that's what I was trying to do to to change the conversation with my interviews around sex and gender and, and transition was to change the way that the conversation was going by just listening to people as individuals with a narrative, just where you're not right or wrong. Your, your ideas, your opinions are built out of your, you know, your experience. And, and so you, you see the person as a whole package, you see their, their involvement uh, and, and that changes the nature of the game where it's like I'm not trying to make a point about transition in and of itself other than something that's takes a long time to understand and takes a lot of people and, and is something that affects people in a major way, both positively and negatively. And if you don't engage it in in that way, then that allows me to be a different person when I enter into that conversation, even though I do play the game where I make fun of people when I see them acting ridiculous or I make fun of an idea when I see it's acting ridiculous. And I've been trying to take a break from that and kind of hatchet that down 
even though it's fun to get rewarded when I make a parody song, you know, or, or something like that, you know, about these things. Yeah, I think, I think well, one of the things that I think, um, somebody I was talking about you the other day with someone else, um, and we were saying how, what I quite like about what you do, uh, like on Twitter, but in your YouTube as well, is that thing that you, you open up a discussion quite often. So you'll put something out there and you in, you invite comments. And, um, and you, and, and I think it's quite effective because I think like when I look at comments that you get often, they are quite thoughtful because mm. you, you framed it in a way that invites thoughtful comment rather than like the dissent of the masses to disagree or to, yeah. to whatever. Um, I can't remember what, what point well, was I But, it, but if, if you build your whole, if, if you engage with something in a way where you can be right or, or the, the basis of your persona, how you face and how you, how you make yourself up in order to engage with that conversation is, is based on you being right or based on you winning an argument, then when the argument's over, you're going to have to let go of that persona. And that persona, actually, it's like, it's like this program that just gets a lot of uh, momentum going. And it's really difficult for people to disengage unless it gets uh, kind of destroyed or you see, you, you kind of wake up to the fact that, oh, this is actually not having the effect that I want it to by receiving criticism or just by getting the criticism yourself or like getting attacked in the same way yourself. I think you have to be open as well, don't you, to the, the possibility that your thought is not right. And so therefore, or your opinion is not right. And that, so therefore someone can come along and can, yeah. um, can persuade you, even if it's not like a huge shift in what you think, but they yeah. can move you a little bit in another direction or make you look at something from a different angle. Um, but again, in, in, in like polarizing debates, like political debates, I think that's really hard to do because people choose their camp and then yeah. they very much cling to that camp. I think one, one uh, kind of benefit of uh, practicing uh, or developing humility is that you kind of look at being right as, as kind of something that is really filled with hubris because being right assumes that you have a complete picture or a complete understanding. And, you know, in order to access humility, all you have to really do is say, I don't know everything. Like, my view is incomplete. And, and just allowing uh, ignorance, a positive sort of ignorance, to exist in your opinion allows you to add to that opinion or change your opinion, which actually allows you to move into another conversation or follow the conversation when the conversation changes into a different topic or a different tone. Yeah. It goes out another rabbit hole or yeah. go, go and explore a different avenue. And I think, um, I think I've done that. I think I've tried to with the intersect thing, but I, I think there's there's sort of two Part of what I'm putting out there is just scientifically accurate information about medical diagnosis. But there's also, I have to take on board the fact that um, not every person with a DSD is going to want to talk about themselves in that way. And so there are people who use language to describe themselves that I wouldn't choose to, and I would rather they didn't choose to describe me, mm-hmm. but that I, but I, I can accept that that's a way that they talk about themselves or that they yeah. frame their experience. Yeah. 
Because and and you find that do you, could you give me an example of why you dislike that? Because and the bigger question is, if you start to frame yourself in a certain way, you can kind of see how it creates an entire worldview or it connects you to an entire system of thought that you don't. Yeah, I think the the, the biggest one for me is when we're described as queer. Um, and I find that really difficult. I, I, it's not a label I would use for myself, and it's not a label I like for myself. Okay. I, and people will talk about us having queer bodies, or you know that kind of thing. And hmm. I, I, I really dislike that. I, I find that um, it just makes me really uncomfortable. It's not. Um, um, it's really difficult to articulate. It's a, firstly, I think it's a political label, and I don't want my medical condition politicising by other people. Um, secondly, I think it's quite an offensive term. Um, and, and I find it quite weird that the same people who would describe themselves as queer. Would you say it's queer that they describe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that they they would describe themselves as queer, but they would reject words like disorder of sex development or um, and you know kind of so like why is the word, word queer all right? Um, hmm. And I and I just and also I think and not just for me, but because we're talking about babies and children as well, and you can't have a queer baby. Um, so I find it really problematic, like in that context as well. Mm. Um, but I think mainly it's sort of the political label and the connotations that brings with it. That then necessarily ties it to sexuality and identity, which is not how I feel. Mm-hmm. But but there are intersex people who, it, they, for them that makes sense of their world. So that's yeah. a word that they would use for themselves. And for all I'm going to disagree. I can't disagree that that's how they see themselves, but I can disagree with them that that's a word that they would apply to me or to intersex as a as a, a an umbrella. Would as you a whole. do you think that it might be fair or somewhat accurate to propose that um, certain people adopt the word queer as a coping mechanism for feeling? Uh, some form of discrimination or some form of like not fitting in some, some way to cope with the fact that they are intrinsically uh, different or left out somehow. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think it does come down to being different, but I think also it's a label that's been put on us because our medical conditions have been co-opted by things like queer theory as a way to skew understanding about sex and, and things. Um, so I think it. I think that you get people, you get into these people who subscribe to queer theory, and so they they like that they're part of that. You get people where, yeah, it, it's just a comfortable word for them to. Um, they maybe don't understand the politics, but they 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 feel comfortable mm-hmm. with that. I'm different, so I'm queer. So that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then also there are, of course, there are like LGBT intersex people who would use the label queer for their sexuality or their identity as well. And then they, they take the medical, con- the, the, the intersex part in, in, into that as well. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of different social reasons. intersex or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then also, um, because there are people who, who identify as intersex who don't have a DSD. Uh, so there's, although I, obviously I, I disagree with that. I think they shouldn't be using that label. They, they identify, they identify into a medical condition. Yeah. Is this yeah. is this accepted, or is this just some wackos? It's it's bizarre. Um, is this like a not, fetish? You know, like people who want to cut off a limb or something like that. <laughs> there are well, there are people who uh, fetishize being a hermaphrodite. Uh, that is yeah. a, a thing. 
Um, but also there are, I, like the, the government here did a survey on LGBTI and they found that the intersex data became meaningless because once they started analysing it, they realised there were people who were using it as a label for themselves who were not intersex or who didn't have a DSD. They were using it outside of a medical uh, context. Yeah. Um, Non-binary people do it quite a lot. They sort of, um, they tend to use the label. Not all of them, but some of them do. And then also, there's a, because there's no fixed definition of what intersex means, so then you get people with other medical conditions who try to include those in it. Yeah. Um, so you end up with this ever-broadening umbrella. So suddenly you get someone who's got, I have heavy periods, and therefore that's like that's also to do with reproduction, so therefore I'm intersex. And uh, so, so there's kind of that, like, where like you can almost opt in because of yeah. something about yourself. Politicizing your coping mechanism, whether you're talking about feminism or LGBT stuff or, you know, any sort of identity politic, you know, like when somebody's dealing with trauma on a political sphere, when they when they're taking the personal and making it political, you're going to see a whole re- range of behaviors that are not you, you can't really control them. And not not in a totalitarian sense, but they they are not they they very quickly become about just a mass psychosis or competing psychoses. Not it's no longer rights. I think it prevents us as well from behaving like adults and yeah. taking responsibility for our own uh, feelings and mental health. There was a, a discussion on your Twitter a few days ago about was it about pain, emotional pain, mm. and um. And I think like that sort of ties into it as well. And it's, you know, like, it's like, I don't like the word queer. I don't like being called queer, but I don't want it to become a crime that someone calls me queer. Um, it's my, I don't like it. It's up to me how I engage with that. Yeah. So, um, so and I can, t- I can say to people, I don't like it. And I can try to have a discussion with them. I can have an argument with them about it. Um, yeah. um, but I, it's not helpful to, criminalize that or to say you can't use that language just because I don't like it um and I can ask people not to you know you can you can like you can ask for like social niceties can't you and you can ask people to be considerate of of your opinion um but I don't see the point in criminalizing it and if ultimately if I find it upsetting I have an option not to engage in it that's my responsibility as an adult and uh, and to walk away from that and I I think It's it's kind of like we've lost the ability, I think, in a lot of circumstances to to do that, to have that responsibility for ourselves and to manage our emotions and Mm. what we do. It's like the um, you know the the game the the trans woman who was in GameStop who lost their temper, yeah, and which is a really inappropriate response, isn't it? Because in the end, it's words. And and you can what you can do, you can leave the store. You can you can register your disgruntlement with how you were spoken to, sure. But then you just leave the store. You don't have to um, smash the store. You don't have to keep shouting at someone. You don't yeah. have to because you are the adult as well. And so walk away. What what needs to happen to ultimately to counter that is to give people options to be better. If people are acting out that way because of trauma, if people are or adopting queer theory as a way of of dealing with their emotions. 
that arise from having a condition that, that sets them apart in some way, that casts them out in some way. What we need to do is provide another mode of, of kind of owning yourself and owning that difference and coping with that difference and, and, and providing stories of people becoming mature uh, by means of dealing with that um, exceptionality. Uh, yeah. I think it's because it's either that, isn't it? Or you can, or you can choose to be a victim forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I obviously I can't speak for sexuality and identity because I'm cisgender. You say it. Oh, you said it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not trans <laughs> and, uh, and I'm straight. Yeah. So I, I can't speak for, for those things. Um, I can't remember now. I got distracted by cisgender because I think we should probably have a talk about that as well. Oh yeah, because um, <laughs> I, I I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. What what point was I making? Until uh, we I got were distracted. talking about uh, developing uh, you know resilience because of your difference because of your condition. Yeah, it's something. You can speak to that. You know, like like dealing with the emotions that that you encountered by seeing that you have sisters, right? And they yeah have a. You know, like they went down another path and you were set apart from that. And there had yeah. to been like a bundle of emotions around that. And Yeah, there's times when it's really difficult. But then I um, I have three sisters. They all have children, all yeah. by normal means. Um, uh, and I, I, I was having a conversation about this the other day with a bunch of women. Um, and we were talking about um, actually sort of the trans women objections to women talking about their bodies. And, um, and I was saying it's something that people don't actually realize. You put a bunch of women together and ultimately they will talk about their bodies. They will talk about their biology because it is the uniting factor. Mm. So when you're younger, it's periods and things. And then when they get older, it's children and giving birth and sort of all those things. And I'm quite often, therefore, like an outcast in groups of women because I haven't I don't have that shared experience. Yeah. But that's fine because I have other friends i have male friends and i i, I will go and talk to them when the women are sharing those stories and i like sometimes it is upsetting because i don't have that yeah um but i just go and talk to the men and and like join in with their conversation instead or you know like you're an outcast but not by choice but you can choose to be positive with that or or negative with that so i could yeah. sit there and i could tell the other women to shut up or i could cry and make everyone feel really uncomfortable and awkward um or i can think right fine i'll go and do something different that's fun for me yeah yeah there's a there's a social media performative aspect that i've seen it's always been annoying but like it's popular to do like where you get to paint yourself as an outcast and you get like reparations you know of attention for like oh look at me look at how outcast i am and and with certain certain particular uh, examples within, uh, you know, the, the trans trans women examples, they have no problem at all. It's even part of their personality to seek attention through that means. So you see that it's it's actually actually part of a, a cluster of of behaviors that 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 is then attaching itself to transition into all this other stuff. You know, like you, you see that. I think it's like it's making yourself the center of everything as well, isn't it? All the time. Yeah. Um, so there's like a degree of maybe like narcissism within that. I don't know. Um, so how do you, how do you navigate then being an outcast and not letting it go to the point where you're seeking attention in a negative way? Like, I mean, I, I have a lot of outcast, you know, ness in my past and eventually like I I kind of embraced being outside and, you know, I kind of want to be outside, you know, like I like that, you know? 
it doesn't um i've always been i think i've always been fine with that I, I can probably go back and find examples where i probably haven't been as fine as i think i am as like an overall thing um but i really i i never wanted from like the the day i received my diagnosis and Tell uh, and i was 18 but it had taken like a few years to get there. I, I knew something was wrong long before I was diagnosed. But with, from the day I received my diagnosis and I understood exactly what what the deal was, um, I never wanted people to feel sorry for me or to be like in that like like pathetic sort of pity mm. space. Um, and and I, my understanding was that the way that people responded would be led by how I responded so hmm. it was important to me to even when I couldn't be positive and there's not it's not always like possible to be positive but to frame it in a way that wasn't that wouldn't create like some weird everyone looking at me and feeling hmm. sad for me and then that's all we do is we sit around and we all feel sad for me because that's just horrible and um and I'm not kind of a center of attention kind of person anyway so that like my personality type probably helped yeah. to define that for me. Yeah. So, and, but, but then all of a sudden when you're in, entering the 2020s, you suddenly realize you're diagnosed with your cisness and you never thought that that was a problem, but now all of a sudden you have to deal with your cisness. Like how do you, how do you, how do you, how, how should we cope with that? I, do you know, I have a, it's really weird, I, the word cisgender. Um, I wrote a thing ages ago, it's on my blog, uh, saying, like, don't call me cis. And this was kind of before everyone was reacting to it, and it was kind of when I first came across the word. And I didn't, I didn't feel that it described me, the way I understood what it meant, I didn't feel that it described me and, like, my relationship mm -hmm. with, with my body and with sort of gender, because I don't fit into, like, the women box. The woman box all the time in a comfortable way and kind of therefore like um and also because when i was a teenager there was a point when i did think they were going to tell me i was male and therefore like if i um because i didn't i, I thought they would come that could be like my dsd oh, okay and um and so kind of this idea of like having this inner feeling of being female just didn't resonate with me i don't i don't okay. understand that as a concept yeah and i wrote I, I wrote a thing about it saying don't call me sis and i kind of i still like um in terms hmm. like when i say like i wouldn't use it for myself like in terms of like my understanding of the word because it, i don't think it describes me but i do understand it, like, if we're talking like trans and not trans then it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i understand that I, I, I i've had similar thoughts like i don't i don't think of myself as like a male i don't think about that but when in my interactions with women that's when i like that's when like my maleness like really <laughs> comes yeah. like like i i understand my gender in relationship to somebody else's gender and the way that my gender interacts with their gender and yeah. and i can see how my 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 gender um elicits their gender um in in that performative aspect and in, in that uh you know like the and this is and this is something that because of who I am and what I do now, I have to section off my certain parts of my experience and say this is this is a literary part of my experience. This is not a political statement. This is this is me exploring 
aspects of myself, but like I see that there's a way that you interact with a woman that you know you unlock her her womanhood. It, it, it yeah. just flowers, and and she experiences that unlocking herself, and that that is such a profoundly beautiful. Tasty, sensual, uh, electric, um, and, and just working from the erotic up into like like uh, I don't want to say spiritual, but like the, like the, the the level of the consciousness, like a very light, like one human being uh, relating to another human being um, in all those interlocking levels, like that. In that context, gender makes sense. In the context of a political aspect or in the context of my identity, you know, or, or my presentation, like when I'm just ex- acting outside of an intimate relationship, like it doesn't really make sense. I don't walk around with the feeling of a man, you know, yeah. or feeling of not being a man, though I, though I do understand and I think it does – I think women are susceptible to uh, social pressures more than males, and I think that there are more social pressures for females than males to act in a certain way. I, I, I think that that part there's there's two equations. Like there's an inner um, sensitivity to expectations and and an outer expectation for for females. But I have had like you know like you're not man enough kind of thing. Or like you're not you're not. Acting in a, a way that that's becoming masculine, not 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 butch masculine, but you know, like producing a certain sort of content in the world, like having a career right. yeah. in the world, like like being in the world in a way that that's the provider kind of thing. I'm, my product, though I'm pretty productive, isn't necessarily translating to providing or provisions. Let's say. So. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I would agree. I think. Um, uh, probably because we're both straight as well, so therefore when we do interact with the opposite sex, there's a the, mm. like that that plays a part in it, doesn't it? Um, so you you do kind of experience it more. Although I don't, again, I think that's a from my point of view, it's a weird thing because I my friends back home we used to, and it's so problematic now to like use this kind of language, but we used to joke all the time that I was like a gay man trapped in a woman's body. Yeah. Or that, like, oh, like that, I had male privilege, or um, because I, I, there I was doing the things with the guys and with my guy friends, okay. while the women were like at home with the babies. I'm like, oh, okay, um, out at the pub with in my the, in the space in the spaces that you occupy. Yeah. Huh. Um, because I don't I don't read you as that butch. Like, if that's the proper. Term. No, I don't. I, yeah, I don't think I am. But I think that's just how I was accepted into my social groups. Because yeah, everyone okay. sort of understood, and therefore this thing, like you know, like we're going to accommodate Claire into like the guy space because she can't be in the women's space. Yeah. And um, and so mm. therefore, like they, there was like an ignoring of, of me as like female within that, mm. so that I so that it didn't change the dynamic of the group as well because that would be really crap for everyone. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So that I could just be like one of the boys, as it yeah. were. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if uh, you can give any insight into this, being a female in the male space, or being a female that that's outside of certain levels of the f- female. Like, like the the male society and the male culture, the strictly male culture, doesn't revolve around childbirth or reproductive health, and that's a huge time sink for women. Like, that's undeniably yeah. a huge part of life. So there's all this. There's this like vacancy in male culture, and I wonder what fills that time, you know, and and what kind of behaviors are built out of filling that time. I don't. Um, I I think 
I don't know. Play and... Yeah, I think that is it. I think like because the men then they have the, free time. Uh, yeah, you so know. they have the they have their hobbies, and like not that women don't have hobbies. That sounds. Um, yeah, I, I, of course women do, but I think men have more time to invest in their hobbies because of that, and and yeah, and sort of messing around. And there is a bit of um, like I find mm. like when I'm it, like in the male group that it, it's more. I'm going to use the word childish, but I don't mean that in a. Uh, but it's like more playful. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Because they because they can give time to to being that and sort of letting go of like like adult responsibility or because they because as you say they don't carry the responsibility in the same way um necessarily of like the reproductive role so they 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 are more playful not that women are playful i don't know it's really difficult yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) yeah every every this is this is the problem and i and i I, i'm sorry to do this but i'm going to blame feminism for entering introducing this constant critique of any sort of stereotype which degrades the ability to even describe in general terms differences and then and then work from the general to the specific yeah Um, and there's just this attitude like any differences always we're always going to read the negative version of what you're saying you know yeah that you're meaning it offensive i'm sure i can imagine like like people watching me and just going like her internalized misogyny you know or like some like I've always felt the pressure, you know, like like imagining the critic, but now that critic isn't just one critic. It's like the the threat of like, you know, 20 to 2000 critics coming down on me. <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? When you feel like well, you feel the need all the time to sort of go, I mean this coming from a good place. Like yeah. I mean, you know, like I'm saying this and I know some of you are going to find it offensive, but I mean it like yeah. coming from a and and in the end like we only have the words we have to describe things. Yeah. yeah. So, um people are going to take offense or read it a certain way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when, when, when we were on that call two weeks ago with, uh, and I was just like, we were on this big group call and I didn't know how to be there. So I just like, I would ask a question when I felt like I could ask a question. Cause I knew that I could, I could participate potently and productively in a conversation through just like questions and stuff. But one thing that I wanted to explore and I didn't, uh, the conversation wasn't going to a place where we could explore it, but I just wanted, cause we, we were speaking with a lot of uh, gender critical feminists and I wanted, I wanted them to participate in a bit of self critique. And, and, and the question that I wanted to propose is that when you do have these women, women only spaces, when you have these women only groups, what are, because you're talking about all the positive, what are some of the emergent behaviors or patterns of behavior that women need to be very careful of in order for it not to get off the rails? Like what, what are some of the dangerous things about women uh, that women just need to be aware of so that they don't go overboard? And, you know, cause men have those too. And you guys will freely, comment on toxic masculinity there's this whole you know like there's this whole grammar of discussing uh negative male behavior negative group male behavior but you need to take the positive with the negative and so i'm wondering what do you see about like when you are in a group of men like what are some of the things that how do they stabilize their their togetherness and have you felt it like getting into like kind of crazy territory and like what what kind of crazy does it go i don't know do you know i think um and again are you, are you just sure... around perfectly behaved males <laughs> no but i think um i think 
to an extent, I think men are better at resolving conflict, yeah. uh, bizarrely, because I think they're more confrontational. Yeah. And, and not hmm. necessarily in like a, an aggressive way necessarily, but if they're upset, then they will, they will say something. So they don't internalize it or go away and worry about it or bitch about it with their other group of friends. Like they will confront it there and then. And, uh, and then, and then sort it out. And also like men don't tend to, if like, if one man in a group, if a, if a bloke has a problem with another bloke, like everyone doesn't get involved. It's not uh, everyone's, like, not everyone feels it's uh, their business. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of have that thing of like, oh, that no, that's between those two and they'll sort it out and we don't all have to like guide them through it or, or whatever. Um, Interesting. I think that's such a, I think that's a major difference. And I think that's something women have to be aware of. It's that, um, because you do, and again, you come around to like the cliches and the stereotypes, but kind of like the bitchy and the gossipy, I think, um, is, is, is what becomes a problem in like the women's groups. Um, but yeah, men just—they just, I, I think they'll sort of, they'll have it out with each other, and then and then and then they just sort of get on, don't they? Afterwards, <laughs> kind of like, well, we've had our say, and yeah. all right, you didn't like that, and I, you know, fair enough. And then go get drunk together, or I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and then like, they participate in a, in some sort of ritual behavior and group behavior like that kind bonding. of purges all that. Yeah, yeah that bur- it purges like there's some sort of uh, externalization. Uh, this communal externalization of that tension onto, you know, like a sports game or like, you know, getting drunk or like abusing their bodies or something like that. Yeah. You know, in a way. Yeah. And you brought up the, the way that women um, will involve each other or the group gets involved in a personal uh, conflict. And, and I was I'm reading a book uh, by Abigail Schreier about uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria and one uh, amazing quote she she has from a psychologist about just studying young women young women empathize so amazingly well with each other that if one has a uh, psychological distress the other one will actually enter that world and and that leads to this social social contagion where you have women converging on uh, negative, some sort of suffering, um, you know, and then they find the name for it in the in in the sense of anorexia or multiple personality disorder or trans transition. I'm trans now. They all they all converge on that that yeah. that story, that world. They they all share that worldview. And so when conflict does arise, like how do you how do you navigate if if you're if you if your brain and your body and your 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 entire envelope as an individual has a really strong ability to empathize like how do you how do you manage that when when you're confronted with something that's really not your business you know like or something that if you it, it how do you recognize that you empathizing with something will only make the problem bigger will only expand the conflict and I guess the the question then was how would how do women as a group then resolve that conflict because they don't stay in forever conflict they they have like a healthy way of working that out like like is it just it drawn out over time is it I think women are probably more likely than men to cut out people that are that they have difficulty with I think that's more common with women hmm. um and um so that's maybe one of the ways that they I don't know if I don't know if that's I don't know if walking away with from something is dealing with it necessarily, but I mm-hmm. suppose it's it's a way of, of not dealing with it and therefore it not being your problem anymore. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It's funny when I like when I was describing the men thing and the women getting involved. And um, the word I was was going to use is like the mothering, like the, because that's kind of like, um, like the empathy. I think that's partly it as well that you because you want to care. I think that's a and it, that's a like a very female instinct. Um, it's a mode of of being. It's it's an entire w- way of being in the world. Yeah. Which which and actually yeah, and and I and I say that with the full knowledge that humanity couldn't exist without that as like the basis of like the creation and sustaining of life. Like, like without that, we don't work as a society yeah. without that. There is no history, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe it's one of those things, isn't it? Because if it's like, who knows with, with sort of these traits, how, how much we can, overcome them and how much they are just part of being male and being female and, and it's one of the uh, the problems with with discussions around gender as you say is that that we can't um talk about it as openly and therefore ex- and and therefore explore like well how much is that just what it is to be female and like not that all females will be like that or not that all males will be like that of course because um yeah there's a variety of people but, but when but you the, get the, groups of men and women together like that that like you see, on it, the, yeah. you see it and and you have to be aware of it you have yeah. to be aware of it yeah. or are you pretend to not be aware of it but you still have to manage it you know I my, my mom used to talk about this all the time she grew up with two brothers and then she had four daughters hmm. but i have a brother but he came along last of all and he's you know quite a lot younger than um myself and my older sister and my mum sort of saying how like she she spent her whole life wishing she had a sister, and then she had four daughters, and then it was just like it's just awful. It's just really like. like <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't have a sister because because like the dynamic is really huh. really awful because, um, and I suppose like within that as well, I have to like this context of siblings. So you've got a uh, you know there's rivalry within being siblings anyway, which yeah. again like is a, another dynamic on this. On the, uh, um, um, but sort of the tearing each other down as well that mm-hmm. I think happens. Hmm. How did your dad the, manage being in a house of five women? Um, he just did his own thing. <laughs> <laughs> he just like tuned out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He spent a lot of time um, at the pub. Uh, he worked a lot as well, and then oh, okay. he would come home, and then he would be at the pub or, um, at, or yeah, watching rugby on the television or something. As we all did our own thing. Um, not yeah. like God, it's not, not that he wasn't a present dad, but yeah. like you know, he just. Yeah. My critics are few and far between, but when I receive criticism, I really obsess about it, and like it, it, it takes me an hour or so. I just keep on thinking and thinking and thinking about like somebody saying something. And one one thing that that really, uh, I guess, it, not triggers me, but um, I, I commented on a detransitioned uh, woman's uh, you, uh, YouTube video. I'm like, thank you so much for putting your story out there, you know. And then some faceless persons like why are you always uh talking about you're obsessed with uh detransitioned females like that's all you ever talk about um which is funny because that's what people say when i on my evergreen videos this is all you ever talk about it's like okay well i'm always always talking about two things you know um but you know and then and then i i made a joke and then i i'm like but no this is a really serious this is a really important story this is some of like like if you want to look at 
at an individual, like going through a process of, of radical self-development and radically just changing the course and like really owning themselves and going through, going through the darkness and then coming up and, and emerging into the light of, of individuality. Um, th- these are some of the most important stories that are going on. And the person's like, no, you're just a fetishist. Like you're just, you just have a fetish for these young women. Um, <clears throat> And and it's it's interesting watching my behavior, watching my presence, and and I'm different than most people because I am very visible. Like like all the stuff I'm doing is very public. I'm actually helping people to become public. Um, but there is uh, so so I just have to watch my behavior and watch the way that I'm perceived as a man um, interacting with young women. You know, like interacting with these potentially very vulnerable young women and, and doing what I can actually in a very tricky way to empower, like, like doing exactly what the feminists are saying you're doing, but I'm, I'm going to do it in the way that, that I think is actually going to allow them to own it by allowing them to tell their stories and, and allowing them for better or worse to receive feedback on the internet, like a bunch of assholes or a bunch of adorers, you know, you don't know what you're going to get, you know, but, um, but just like, uh, Watching my being very aware of my status as a man, not status socially as a status, but my 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 entity being a male entity facing a young woman um, and and doing it in a evuncular way, doing it that becoming the uncle, you know, becoming somebody who is familial in in a way like like in a way that I can be intimate with a with a young woman to perform intimacy in a public venue and and to show that not all intimacy is fraught with sexuality has nothing to do with this you know but people will apply all these different lenses to that but i just when people say that that gender shouldn't exist or or that it should be dismantled it does that that can't be actually we need to have these codes and rules that are built on top of my biological status as a male, your biological status as a female, my biological status as X number of years old, your biological status as that number of years old. Like it, it, there's so much, there's so many tiny little cues and, and, and orders of behavior that actually need to be learned in order for productive conversations to happen, in order for civil society and very deep discourse to happen, there, there has to be an understanding and a knowledge of this stuff. For me, that understanding and knowledge is not built on culture. It's built on feeling. Like, I, I feel out the person. Like, it's a, it's a very intuitive process for me. Um, but I could, like, very painstakingly go through and, like, like explain it, and that's what fiction is for: explaining these behaviors, explaining these relationships. But to, to there's a huge. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's this huge conversation. There's this huge data bank and wealth of information under the label of gender that that to deny it or to only look at the abuses of it is to rob yourself not only of the ability to exp, uh, to to experience it and explore it, but to actually pass on the good good lessons to the people around you, and especially to your children or to the younger generation. I don't see why. There's, um, I, because there's, a, there's an assumption, isn't there, that therefore um, that we would be the only animals that don't have, and maybe gender isn't the right word then, but like sex-based behavior, I don't know. I mm. Like for the gender Which would be gender. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
with people who are offended by the word and yeah. maybe that's that's it's like God, you know, it's like, it's the new God. It's like the word that you yeah. can't use. So you have to make up all these words so <laughs> you can talk. Yeah. About it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a ridiculous proposition, isn't it? That we would be the only um, animals that don't have different behaviors. Um, the, the, the difference being obviously for humans, like all behaviors, that we're conscious of our behavior and, and can can look at it like like you were saying that like you you know you're aware of your behavior and you're aware of your, how, how your behavior might be read um and and how other people mm. uh, might make judgments of it yeah um but of course like we have like it's like there's basic instincts as well isn't there within us because we are animals uh although i've been criticized for saying that as well apparently that's uh oh, people don't like Saying that humans are animals apparently is uh Is that uh, disrespectful to animals somehow? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's dehumanizing, I've been told. Mm, dehumanizing. Uh, yeah, but I think that's a misunderstanding of yeah. the word dehumanizing, because of course we're animals. Like yeah. what, what, we're, it... not, we're not some like higher being or like entity or. Um, I don't, I don't uh, see why that you can't be a higher being. I don't see why you can't be like an apex animal. I mean, an yeah. animal is, that's like saying an animal is nothing but, you know, a, a plant or there's no difference yeah. between a plant and, or there's no difference between a rock and a dog, you know? Like but we're not something like beyond being an animal. We are, ultimately we are animals. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, like Our humanity, animals, like, insofar yeah. as we are anything more than an animal, happens within uh, a, a, within the animal. It happens. Yeah, like, it yeah. With, happens within the material. Like, like. Yeah. It's not like there's like plants, animal, and then something else, and that's what we are. Like yeah. <laughs> we are, we are part of the animal bit. Um, and yeah, with a higher consciousness, but we're still animals. So of course we have like sex-based or gender gendered behaviors because. Um, there's all sorts of things that are informing that. Um, even on like a even like on a, a scientific level, you've got hormones that are going to inform like behaviors. So, like when you think about um, like like how men can be more aggressive and confrontational. Well, it's you know they have testosterone. They have more testosterone than women. So of course that's going to inform. We know testosterone makes people like more aggressive. And, and aggr- not aggressive doesn't necessarily mean like out for the fight, but it it, it has a, it, it informs mm. behavior, and we see mm. that in other animals. So why not in humans? I don't, I don't understand why that's a. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how we've got to a point where we're not where we can't acknowledge that. And I don't. Again, with the feminists, I don't really understand. It makes no sense to me. Like when when like the, the this discourse about male violence, but then you're not allowed to talk about why that might be. And it can't just be like again, it can't just be the patriarchy and some um, conspiracy theory. Yeah, it's. There is going to be um, a biological basis to these things as well. Yeah, um, yeah, biological, yeah. and then uh, yeah, I, it, it's like the whole. Okay, it's it's hard to critique things without making a straw man of them. So so I, I guess it just reformulating the conversation, like how can we freaking get back to a place where we can talk about being a man, being a woman, being men, being women in a way where we can start to understand and recodify the behavior? It seems like people have a problem with the code of behavior because the code is used to discriminate. The code has been used as a, as a reason to, to vilify them or to abuse them. And, and no matter what code you have, it's always going to be abused. No matter what doctrine you have, it's always, you're always going to have a negative. If you make an idiot proof, evil free religion, it will 
turn into an idiot-filled evil religion in the wrong hands. Like, like there's no code of conduct that can't be twisted. But at the same time, like, the people who want to have no code still have a code. And their code, you know, with, with postmodernism, you just have people, or with queer theory, like, now there's arguments within queer theory that queer theory is not queer enough. So they're, they're constantly queering queer and queering queer. So I think that eventually the trad wife is the most queer entity at all. Yeah, that because queer she keeps on, She just keeps on re- replicating herself, and she's always vilified constantly, you know, and she just keeps on producing babies, you know. Um, but so, so how do we get to a place where we, we can recognize that there is a code of conduct between men and women, and there's a reason why men need to have certain sorts of behavioral, you know, uh, structures put on them in order to manage their testosterone. There's certain... It's like the why do women need uh, safe spaces? Why do why do they need female only spaces? It's, there's a biological basis for that um, because they're vulnerable. Therefore, we need a code like chivalry. You're going to just reinvent chivalry to, in order to to regulate men so that they approach women in a certain way. And and the problem with that is that then that chivalry will want to have women acting in a certain way too, and women want to be free to control men, you know, it's gotta be, that's the problem. It's gotta be, we have to return the conversation into like, uh, you know, it, this is a shared experience. Like there's a mutuality. It's com- yeah. It's complimentary, isn't it? It should be, should be complimentary. I think just accepting that men are different and that women are different and that's okay. And, and that the two do complement each other. That's how relationships work, isn't it? You know, um, and again, again, obviously I'm being very heteronormative in my <laughs> my uh sort of uh, well you're also assuming that people have the capacity to actually have a relationship too which is kind of leaving a lot of people out of this conversation this is true yeah i'm just i'm failing on all levels (laughs) (laughs) but it is that's how um that's how relationships sustained uh it's how um well okay. okay you can you can basically say that and okay, there's are there, okay, there's already exceptions to this, but you can say that yeah. the family unit through history has been built out of men and women working in conjunction. Yeah, I was going to use parenting as an example, and then I see this is the pro- this is the problem, Benjamin, because as soon as you start, we're so conditioned into yeah. it, or maybe I'm so conditioned. As soon as you start going down this path of talking about it, you start thinking, oh my god, like this group's going to be offended by this or this group. But you're talking about the norm, aren't you? You're talking about the majority, um, and and yeah, how society and society functions mainly on the norms and the majorities because that's how it works yeah the internet doesn't function that way though (laughs) yeah no (laughs) but i don't need it's your it's your uh it's your internet so i don't need to worry about it less um yeah like parenting is a great example and um and again not to denigrate against same sex couples that have children but you know like the 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 best thing a child can have is a a positive male role model and a positive female role model because they will learn a lot from both of those things and like yes you can you can have a single parent family that's successful as well because you've got to add the caveats and yes you can have a a gay uh couple who who's successfully parent yeah but but uh, but the most rounded experience would be to have the positive male role model and the positive female role model yeah and that's kind of how how our reproduction uh in, in like a biological sense, that's how we're, we're, it's it's meant to be. In in that, like that's how it yeah. happens. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot riding on that too. 
And you're yeah. not going to stop. You're not going to stop the majority of men and women interacting with one another. So there needs to be some sort of capacity to understand the male and the female, and actually, uh, to to turn the whole uh, always privileging the out group in order to make up with their uh, not being the out group, right? Um, you can actually learn a lot about the rule by examining patiently and uh, uh, carefully and respectfully the the exception. If, if you say, you know, and, and I, I've been thinking about this, uh, you know, like thinking about how males being attracted to me is the, the, the whole experience of like having a male being attracted to me is really disconcerting to me, not in a disgusting kind of way, but like on an energetic way, like the way that a man uh, shoots their desire at me is like very intense. And like it actually like it makes me disappear in a way that like I'm not. I'm not suited to and like just thinking about how the uh, homosexual males uh, enter into and develop a desire and then a relationship through that desire and, and, and exploring that uh, will give you a lot of information about the way in which a man desires, you know, and, and understanding like a young woman getting information somehow about how a man operates is going to be very useful for managing the desire. And, and, and I think that there's parts of the, uh, there's parts of the feminist narrative around male desire that's actually does a disservice to women in the long run because it doesn't give them the tools to to understand how to use that male desire. It just says that a male desiring you is for his own selfish gain. That That's objectification. That's the male gaze. Like, well, okay, yeah, but what is that? How do you deal with that? How do you play with that? How do you... How do you use that? How do you be aware of that? How do you allow that to land on you and not feel oppressed by it and not, you know, like have to flaunt yourself or or cover yourself, but like actually um, change a man's view of you? Because if you, I if you... find it really um, the whole male gaze thing and like that the, what you're commenting on there, I find it. I was because I was raised Catholic, so. Mm. The, you, you get all sorts of problems then around like sexuality and because mm. um, the messages that you're you know you've made to feel very guilty about these things and that they're like sort of dirty and wrong unless you're married and you're making mm. a baby or whatever and I sometimes find like the feminist way of talking about it is quite similar it makes me feel in, like quite a similar way and like the thing of like the male the male gaze or the um, and like this probably isn't helpful for young women because obviously I'm coming at it as someone who's older but kind of like, like what's what's wrong with a guy having a look at you and I don't mean like leering at you and making you feel uncomfortable and you know the, 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 if, if you're giving off a signal that you're not interested then they're like they like they shouldn't continue staring in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable but kind of like if you're walking down the street and a guy checks you out then it's that's quite nice isn't it Do you know like, why mm. would you like and yeah you should um being able to respond to that in a way that doesn't invite attention that you might not want um mm -hmm. is a useful lesson but being made to feel like it's always bad i think is is quite harmful because it, it denies you the right to also just enjoy hmm being attractive or experiencing attraction mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 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 yeah like the, the like being able to sort of play on play with that and and have fun with it and and it be a nice thing as well because of course it is everyone likes to it uh, and isn't that in a way uh, like a rite of passage like 
like uh, being able to own that the, the the way to actually the path towards maturity is to not shy away from that which you find challenging but actually like integrate that somehow or understand it and and there is you brought up a really good thing like when a man is leering like when when, when there's a negative male attention like how do you deal with that do you, do you get like other men to go after that? Do you do you make a statement like how do you deal with that? Like what does that make you feel? And and when I was nineteen, I was a, I worked at, I was in Chicago. I was working at a catering job, and it was like owned by uh, it was it was like in the gate part of town, and there was this porn swap, uh, and I worked this porn swap. And I'm like this young guy, like serving, you know, alcohol and dinner to all these older men who are, you know, like sharing their porn with each other. And it was all gay porn. And like, and I felt like the men's attention, like going from these magazines onto my body. And like, I felt that I'm like, oh, this is what, this is what they're talking. This is what women are talking about when they don't want that. Like, cause it was actually, it was changing me. Like it was entering into me in this way that I, it was violating me in a way. Um, and, and having that experience, uh, really woke me up like to what is male attention when I'm giving that out? How does that make somebody feel? Uh, can I, can I change my lenses? Like some sort of, you know, I, I don't know. I'm thinking of some movie where a guy can change <laughs> his lenses or something like that. Like, and, and under what circumstances is that appropriate? And under what circum, what does that actually do when I, as a man, look at a woman in that way, what does that do to my attention? Like I can feel my, like I, I, it blocks off higher levels of being to me. Like I actually like, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's just like go down a couple of rungs, you know, like, and, but at the same time, there's a way of, of interacting with a woman's beauty or appreciating a woman's beauty that, and th and this is the problem again, with having a social media presence, that's kind of public. Like a lot of my friends happen to be women and like women like to do, um, they, they share photos of themselves, you know, like, and, and it's like, well, do I comment on that? Do I tell them they're beautiful? Like, um, should I ignore that picture of a bikini? Like, like, uh, like, is this bait for me? Like, like, sh how do I even, so I don't yeah, express they, it, but. Are they going to misread your, your like, nice or, comment? Or if, or if a third party comes in and says, look at this lecherous person. But at the same time, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that, that there's a way of, of inter engaging with the woman's beauty that, that incorporates that animal sexual erotic tension into something higher. Like it doesn't deny that at all. It actually incorporates it. And, and usually it, it happens like by, by looking at the eyes and centering the face, like centering that human. And then like everything is, is uh, secondary or, or an extension of like that individual there, you know, and, and, and developing as a man, a way of interacting with like my desire and, and women in a way to, to, to incorporate it in this way where it doesn't say all this stuff below pure consciousness is evil. It's not like really integrating all those different things is the way towards becoming like a more mature individual. Yeah, I think, and, and like you say, sort of, I think like being aware of yourself as well, isn't it? But then not too aware that, that yeah. um, that you end up behaving like in an unnatural way because suddenly you're so aware of yourself that you like you don't know what to do. Um, I don't know. I don't have a. I. 
I mean, again, because I'm just a bad feminist, but like I, I quite, I like being flirted with as well. You know, like I don't have a problem with that, and I don't have a problem with that kind of, of, of behavior. And I, because I you're think you're a bad it, feminist, it, but you're a good woman. <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> I'll take that. But I, 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 it's it's edifying. It's a fun way to communicate with someone. And like, yes, there are again, the the it's not always welcome like and and that's the difficulty isn't it mm-hmm. because there, there might be someone trying to flirt with me that i want no i want no part of their flirting and like how how you manage that um is hmm. difficult um hmm. but i enjoy i enjoy like interactions with males and i, I and, and partly because as we said earlier because i spend time in the male sphere but then i, I don't know how much of that is flirty probably not a lot of it because i'm playing a different role than myself um well flirtation uh, i i'm don't mean to project on you but it might be the case for me it's the case that flirtation only lasts in a very beginning part of a friendship you know after a while it's just it, it's not there's no flirtations yeah. about the unknown and and after you like you you figure out that other person enough to like want to spend time with them like that mode of discourse it doesn't really perpetuate itself, you know, like that, that tension's not there. Yeah. I, Cause I suppose it's a bit sort of small talky as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like that kind of Quippy. flirty. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, it's like a getting to know you. Uh, it's a way of doing that as well. And then, yeah, once you've established a relationship with someone, it would just be weird to be like in that perpetual state of like hmm. sort of airy flirtatious yeah. talk. In, unless Although, it was like performative somehow for, for other people, you know? Yeah, or like sometimes, sometimes you might do that anyway, just because it's fun to yeah. uh, to go back to that kind of interaction. Um, but yeah, you can't have a relationship that's like that constantly because well, you wouldn't. But then you're not getting to know the deeper person either, are you? Because flirtation is quite uh, um, what's the word? Sort of surface level. It's it's all pomp. It's all yeah. It's like the the. the peacocks you know like feathers it's like okay put those things away dude we gotta get more bird seed you know or whatever you know like yeah top up a tree or something you can't fly with that and put it away but it's also it's a it's a good way when you are dealing with like a stranger maybe Mm -hmm. of of being of being like quite friendly and light you can be like flirtatious with them and it's it's a nice way of um not having to enter into a serious discussion yeah actually yeah 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 yeah, but, uh, it, but, but it's very ephemeral. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the it's the babbling brook with all the lights and the the rushing water. You know, there's not a lot of yeah. depth there. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Like, even though we're talking about gender and we're talking about sex uh, as a biological thing, I guess flirtation's a part of like the other uh, definition of sex. But what the th- another thing that we're outlining is what we can't say or like like that 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 constant um, affordance to offense. And, and, and I think that we both do it. I know. Okay. I'm sorry. I do that because I want people to be able to access this who are outsiders. I, I want to interact with people who are exceptional um, in a negative and a positive sense. I want to furthermore show that I am a sensitive being that I can think in more than one way that, that the, that the rule is not, uh, that 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 the fact that there is a rule or a majority doesn't mean that the minority isn't something that that should be interacted with or doesn't have validity. Um, but at the same time, like the 
there, there's a negative drag that that I guess happens because people are going to act in bad faith or strangers are going to come along and read it as me being insensitive. And I guess there's only so much sensitivity that we can have. Like, like there's only so much uh, apologies or caveats that we can, we can make. Um, and I guess for my own self, I just have to have faith that the people who are going to disagree with me are going to disagree with me. The people who are not going to engage with me in a nuanced fashion aren't going to do that. And that's fine. Like, like I guess part of my development at this stage in my career, or my life or whatever, is just allowing the fact that people are going to use me to their own ends um, and, and use my words to their own ends. Um, but if you listen to enough of me, I think you get, most people will kind of understand that I'm probably like sensitive to a boring fault, like actually, like, like yeah, you could I probably think, be a little bit more mean there, Ben, you know. I think you come across as, um, oh, this is like the ultimate insult. I was going to say you come across as really nice, but, like, but that just sounds so insulting. We're both trying to be nice to a certain extent where we're, we're banking up against the fact that that's keeping us from actually continuing to be nice, but actually engaging with something on a deeper level. And the, the conversation itself is being kept at a very shallow level by this offensive police force that goes around and, and says, you can't say that, you can't say that, you can't say that. Like, it, it's keeping us from actually going yeah, any it's, further. It's one of the things I really enjoy in my conversations with you, because I don't feel, because I feel that you understand where, like, where I'm coming from. So mm. therefore, like, for all I do, the caveats, because I feel I have to. Um, yeah. But like, but I, but I don't think that you're, I think that you understand. And I, and I, I feel the same way about what you do. Um, that it's not coming from a bad place and it's com- it's not out to attack or offend, like, purposefully. Um, and, uh, I, d- so I did I make think... fun of bisexuals the other day. I, I... Well, like, but, I mean, like, I make fun of all sorts of things as well, <laughs> because sometimes some things are ridiculous, and if you can't laugh at them, then... Or, or in or another way, just because you're laughing at something doesn't mean that it's ridiculous. You're actually, like, giving insight into a condition by making fun of it. Like, you're yeah. actually... If you can laugh at pain, it's actually another way of getting closer to it. And I think that that's a male, uh, stereotypically male behavior of laughing at pain is actually yeah. a way of sympathy. It's like, actually, I'm with you, dude. Like, like, like you totally bit it or that ball totally hit your nads. I'm with you. and My laughter is me sympathizing with you. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to sympathize with your pain. I'm taking your pain and I'm, I'm turning it into gold. It's an alchemical process or it can be. Humor can be like dealing with shit and turning it into angel wings, you know? One of my, um, um, it's not quite an on point story, but it just made me think of it when, um, and sort of going back to like my experience in like the male and the female sphere and, and dealing with like difficult things. Um, when one of my sisters became pregnant, um, and they've always, it's always been really awkward when they become pregnant because they've, they like, they usually, they tell each other and then they have a thing of like, and now we have to tell Claire and it becomes like, a, oh, no. like they've, they've made more of a thing of it than I have. And, um, and once I was in a pub with a male friend of mine, he's like one of my best friends in the world. Um, and I'd had like a really crappy day at work as well. So I was like already like in a, like an odd like mindset and I'd had a couple of beers and then my sister phoned me and I saw I'd had a missed call from her and she, it's my sister that never calls me. So that straight away I'm thinking, oh, something bad has happened. But if she's calling me, then this is like something awful. So it's just a ambulance going past. Um, and then, um, 
so I called her back and I'm thinking it's going to be about like one of our parents has died or you know they'd like that's how yeah. bad it must be for her to have picked up the phone to call me and uh, and she just sort of there's this very sombre voice told me she was pregnant and I kind of all <laughs> oh, right okay and I hung up the phone and I turned to my friend who knows my sister really well as well they're like ex-colleagues and he says everything all right and I was like yeah no she's uh, she's pregnant and he went right and I went you don't mind I'm just gonna have a little cry because I just like just thought everything sort of just at that like, because huh. I'd been so worried about the phone call, and then oh, I was yeah. slightly drunk as well, and it was just all. And then she was so weird with me, and huh. I and I just like I just started crying, and like not dramatically, just like a little like moment. And my friend just he just he stood there and he just punched me on the arm and went, "You dickhead!" And like and then I started laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like a yeah, like a the, the male energy that I needed in that moment to uh, yeah, to break is. out of yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, if I'd been with women, we would probably like they would have been very yeah, sympathetic. That it would have been, yeah. And actually, yeah. that's I didn't need that. I needed to uh, hmm. because it, because it wasn't like I wasn't upset. Like I was just having a moment, you know. Like, yeah. Hmm. Having a moment with Claire Graham. <laughs> can I name this that? You can name it that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.